Well, just to, to let you know, uh, after today, there'll be four more Sundays with our VBS. And a special blessing for you is that I'm on a timer for the next four weeks. Uh, I thought I would get a lot of amens on that, but okay. So I have to be done at 11.50. So, wow, okay. But... That doesn't mean church is over at 11.50. Uh, no, the VBSers will come in at 11.50 and we'll do our last 10 minutes of church together uh, with the kids. So I have to be done. Uh, vet uh, and the Missions Commission. Uh, and, of course, behind Vet is Jennifer. That's, well, never mind. Okay, yeah. There's brains and beauty. You can figure it out which is which. Okay. Uh, but here's the schedule of activities for the summer. Uh, and into the fall a little bit, too, uh, for our outreach in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of Los Angeles. So he wanted me to let you know that will be hanging up in the back, right? Uh, and folks can sign up and it has the different activities listed. So um, I didn't know. Let me just set this here for now. Also, I'm excited that on July 10th, uh, for the adults, uh, for Sunday school and for church, we will have coming uh, Dr. Joe Francis from the Master's College up in Santa Clarita. Uh, that's John MacArthur's school. Uh, and he and Dr. Francis is an acclaimed scientist who's a born again believer. Uh, so he's going to come and share with us uh, both from scripture and from science about the validity of the worldwide global flood and the implications uh, of all of that. So I'm excited to have him coming on July the 10th to be with us. So um, if you had your outlines from last week, remember, I asked you to fold those up and put them in your Bible. So go ahead and pull those out. Uh, the ushers out there in the foyer, I think there's a few extra outlines on the table there. If you want to grab those and come on in in case folks need to have that. And then Habib, is my clicker around back there somewhere? Something I think uh, someone had it. I'm not sure. I'll have to have that. So do you need an outline? You can raise your hand. Art has some. Uh, and uh, there's Matthew. He has some. So. Um. so I like tennis. Tennis is my favorite sport. I like a lot of sports, but tennis is my favorite. I played tennis since I was 10 years old, uh, and I love it. I know most people think it's boring, but I like it. Uh, Dennis doesn't even think it's a real sport, so that's all right. But, you know, Wimbledon starts tomorrow, which is one of the uh, four major tournaments along with the U.S. Open, the French Open, and I don't know why, but the Australian Open. Uh, but Wimbledon starts tomorrow. And if you know anything about uh, tennis uh, or John McEnroe specifically, uh, he has he's very famous for his temper. Right. So he uttered a very famous line. During his match in 1981 against Tom Gullickson, uh, and McEnroe was penalized because he doesn't just say things. He, like, yells things, doesn't he? But I remember, I saw, I remember when it happened, uh, I was 14 years old, but I was watching it again on YouTube. It's great. I just kept replaying it over and over. But he goes up to that chair umpire, and he, like, yells. He goes, you cannot be serious, you know. Uh, it's great, man. I just, I mean, the anger is not great, but uh, he shouted. He said, you cannot be serious. 
Well, we're in Revelation chapter three, uh, verses one through six. We were looking at uh, the church in Sardis uh, because they were not serious enough about their faith. In fact, of the seven churches that Jesus asked John to write to, this church is the only one that Jesus didn't have anything good to say about. The other six churches, he had something good. And then he pointed out some problems. But with this church, it was just problems that he is pointing out. So if you start in verse one of Revelation, chapter three, he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write: He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. uh, Those are that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And then the seven stars are the leaders in these churches. We know that from studying the first two chapters says, I know your deeds, that you have a name. That says you are alive, but in reality you are dead. So they were just religious people, not really true followers of Christ. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So they didn't follow all the way through in their profession of faith. Uh, They didn't take it seriously to the point of sticking with it all the way to the end. Verse three. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. In other words, to shut down your church and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Uh, Remember, that's not a reference to the second coming of Christ. That's a reference to uh, the Lord. Uh, The Lord would rather see a church close than to have a church that is not following him like it should. That's what that verse is saying. Um, And in our country, first of all, I pray that never happens with our church. And in our country, that happens quite a bit. You know, it might be in my office where my espresso machine is, uh, in that top drawer, Habib, right right under my coffee maker. No, stay away from the candy. That's private. See, they're always my private candy drawer. Okay. So a lot of churches in America, I think... um, should be closed down. Uh, but in the Lord's wisdom, we have tares among the wheats, uh, among the wheat, don't we? Until he comes again. Um, you know, I. OK, 1150. OK, I bet we don't finish this today. What do you think? OK. All right. Aha. It was with the espresso. OK. Mm, OK. You know, My older son, uh, who's not really walking with the Lord, I saw a post on his Facebook this morning because he and my wife are in San Antonio because my daughter-in-law graduated from basic training in the Air Force. And so they're down there. Uh, And my son posted this morning uh, that he was in the lobby eating breakfast and Joel Olstein was on TV and then expletive, 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 because this guy's serious. Uh, What's with these weak minded people who are just listening to this guy telling them what they want to hear. Uh, so knowing me, you know, I'm reserved. I like to be in the background. So I don't like that. So, of course, I had to say something, right? Uh, no, but I said, well, I wouldn't use those words that you used. But, yes, I agree uh, that he's a false teacher and that he just tells people what they want to hear. And by the way, folks, Joel Olstein's brand of church has been around for many Many, many years. It's called prosperity gospel. Uh, prosperity gospel teaches that God exists to give you whatever you want. 
Uh, and it's not new. It's been around a very long time. It's just wrapped in a new package. Uh, but I also encouraged my son, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't dismiss all of Christianity. Don't dismiss the gospel because one charlatan is peddling his snake oil. That's what I said. That's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, so a lot of churches. Uh, and by the way, that's the largest church in the United States of America. Uh, Joel Olstein's church, uh, but uh, not teaching the true gospel there. Why doesn't the Lord come and close those churches down? Uh, eventually he will, uh, but in his own time. Verse four. Now, we looked at some things last week. If you weren't with us, you're going to have to write really fast uh, because I want to pick up where I believe we're on page two. Letter F is where I'm going to pick up. But your first two blanks, we've already mentioned that Jesus had no commendation, only criticism. But there's some good news. There's some good news. Even in the darkest of times, there's some light. God always provides his people to be in the world, even during the darkest of times. And it's great that we're studying ocean commotion, though. When I heard that, I thought of a group called the Grand Funk Railroad that used to sing a song called The Locomotion. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Come on, baby, do The Locomotion. Remember that song? Okay. Maybe you, if you're younger, you know the Kylie Minogue version. I don't know. Okay. Okay, off track, 1150. Um, Ocean's Commotion. But it's interesting, Noah, wasn't he... And his family, weren't they lights in one of the darkest times on planet Earth? Uh, God doesn't leave the world without witnesses. And in verse 4 of Revelation 3, here's some good news. And this was our challenge last week. Do we want to be part of the many who are not really truly believers, but they're just being religious people? Or do we want to be one of the few? And, of course, I always think of the Marines. I'm trying not to say the few, the proud, the Marines. Verse 4, but you have a few people. In Sardis, who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, it's interesting that he mentions in verse 4 that there are few who had not soiled their garments. Very interesting because, remember, Sardis was a very wealthy city. It was situated among five major trade routes, and they were famous for their textile industry. They made garments. That's what the city was known for. So isn't that cool how the Lord gets really relatable here? He starts talking about clean garments and soiled garments. Soiled means to be polluted, to be stained, to be dirty. I guarantee you, some of you parents, if your kids are here for VBS, when you see them at 1150, they might be a little dirty. You know, some kids, especially boys. I don't know what it is. We love the dirt. Uh, so, well, I saw one little girl. She she can't stand wearing her shoes. Man, she's she's got her shoes off usually before she gets here. So but it's interesting. What are garments? Garments are the clothes we put on, Right. Uh, we wear them very close to the body. They cover us. Uh, they also clothing also represents us. 
identifies us sometimes. It's it's what we wear. Uh, It's about getting dressed. But obviously he's not talking literally about clothing, is he? He's talking about uh, staying clean and pure in an impure world and how difficult it is. Is it not difficult to live in this world and not become part of it? Right. Isn't it hard not to adopt the values and the priorities and the things that are important to the world? It's hard not to get all wrapped up in those things, isn't it? That's just part of the human experience of wrestling with those things. All of a sudden, spiritual things are way on the back burner. My walk with the Lord isn't really a priority, but, oh, I'm not going to miss that ball game, or I'm not going to miss that concert, uh, or you got to check out this new restaurant. It's amazing. That's one of my struggles. But spiritual things take a back seat, and before we know it, we're all wrapped up in the priorities and the things that the world says are important. That's when we get soiled, we get stained, we get polluted. Sometimes it gets even worse than that. We get involved in um, some really dirty things. Uh, And Jesus says to this church, almost all of you are just worldly unbelievers, but you're wearing some sort of mask like you're religious. But he says there are a few who are truly following after me. Uh, who are truly trying to stay pure and clean in a very impure world. And it's we don't want to make a, a do and don't list that gets dangerous. Well, that means I don't go to movies or, you know, what is that saying? I don't smoke, I don't chew and I don't date girls who do. Uh, we don't we don't want to do that. Uh, make a list because for each person, each believer, the battle with worldliness is going to be different. There's going to be different temptations. It's more about love. It's more about affection. It's more about what makes my heart sing. It's about what do I live for more than anything else? Is it for the Lord and the things of the Lord? Or is it for the rush? Is it for uh, the whatever you want to call it, the things of the world? So he says there are a few uh, who have not soiled their garments. So obviously garments here refers to character, right? Character. And by the way, folks, character as defined by the scriptures, because the world also has a system of character, uh, but it's not character to the glory of God. In fact, the major character traits that we as believers are to have, where do we find those? What do we call those? Give me a little pop quiz. Oh, someone who said Beatitudes. That's uh I was going to say that second because that would be the hardest answer. So Judy gets a gold star. Yeah, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 defines the character that Jesus is looking for. So the opening verses of Matthew 5, if you want to learn sometime, you don't need to go there right now. Uh, but if you want to see what does Jesus expect of those who follow him, it's right there. Does anyone remember what the and by the way, whenever you see a list of things in Scripture, the order of the list is just as important as the list. And why do you say that? Well, because where do the scriptures come from? From the Holy Spirit through the pen of the writer. So obviously words are important in the order. But what was the first beatitude or attitude of the heart that the true follower of Jesus has to have in Matthew five? Poor in spirit. 
poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that I understand my needy sinfulness before a holy God. It's kind of wrapped up in repentance, confession, uh, humility. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of boasting. You know, the Olympics are coming up on us, right? And I love to watch because I love sport. Well, even the soccer. I hate soccer. I just got to be honest. Hours of running. This is not built for running for hours. I can barely run to the refrigerator during a commercial, let alone. All that running for, you know, yeah, we, we were out there for 95 minutes and it was one to zero. Woo! I'm like, oh, one goal in 90 some minutes. Sheesh. I'm sorry. Colombia is grieving. Sorry. I do like a good bowl of chili. Okay. Uh, and then I was watching and guys don't make fun of me. I only watch it during the, there are certain sports you only watch during the Olympics, right? I would never watch rowing or fencing. You can't even see their faces. You know, I would never watch ice skating. Sorry. Some of you, I would never watch gymnastics except during the Olympics, but they had the Olympic trials for men's gymnastics last night, women's gymnastics tonight. Uh, But my point is, I love sport, but there's so much boasting. There's just so much boasting, you know, the beating of the chest. I mean, this this guy, this young man, he didn't even do very well. He didn't make the Olympic team. In fact, I think he finished 10th and they only take the top five. But after his routines, he was just beating his chest, you know, and making these faces. You know, and then his dad, who was his coach, was on the sideline doing the same thing. A couple times the mics picked up cuss words. And I'm like, wow, the boasting in the heart of man over his accomplishments uh, really knows no bounds. That's the opposite of poor in spirit. You know, the opposite of poor in spirit. And later, if some of you, some of you know the meaning, I mean, these NBA players, when they score, I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing. I don't even know what that means. I don't know if that was a gang symbol or what. I, I don't know what that means. Someone can tell me. So you go to the Beatitudes. Okay, 20 minutes. You go to the Beatitudes to learn what character, what our garments should look like. When someone sees me, they see my garments, they see my character. Jesus defines that character in Matthew 5. And where is the other list of character traits that we are to display? Carol. You know, we have a star in the back and a star in the front. All right. Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit. Again, we have a list, but the order is important. What's the first attribute in the list? Love. I believe everything that comes after that is a broader description of love. And remember that Christ himself embodies completely and fully every one of those attributes in Galatians 5, 22 through 24 ish. Do you know the list with me? If let's say it together out loud. If you don't, just kind of mumble. Just like make your mouth move and people will think, wow, she's smart. Right. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Wait, sorry, I said that faithfulness, self-control. Oops. 
You're going to have a vote of confidence after church today. Every character attribute that should be seen in our garments that should remain unstained and unspoiled, we see in that list. And it's a great grid to use to evaluate your life. What am I strong in? Where do I need to work? And if you're really brave, you give that list to a friend and say, you evaluate me if you're really brave. And if you're totally insane, give it to your spouse and say, what am I strong in and what do I need to work on? But those, yeah. <laughs> Don's, Don's making me laugh. But it's true, right? We are called by Christ to be one of the few who keep our character free of the worldliness and the impurity and the paganism and the secularism and the humanism and all that stuff. And we should be reflecting out those character traits of Matthew 5 and Galatians 5. That's a good way to remember that, right? Matthew 5, Galatians 5 is who we should be, who we should be. Character counts. But remember, not character as the world defines it. Because it is interesting to me, you know, something like something happens like what happened in Orlando, Florida. And it's very sad. It's very tragic. But then they start talking about character, right? And we're just flooded with the strength of character and, and all that that comes out afterwards and all this stuff. But that's not character is defined by God. Uh, that's just character being defined apart from God. So here we have a few uh, who are rewarded. Their garments are clean. When we read John 17 earlier, Jesus prayer was what? I do not pray, Heavenly Father, that you take my disciples out of the world. But I pray that you keep them from the evil one. And I pray that you would sanctify them by the truth. And then he says, what? Thy word is truth. So he's saying, how do we keep our garments clean in an unclean world? We have to spend time in the scriptures. We have to obey the scriptures. And then 1 John 1, 9. I like that passage, too. Do you know that verse? If you do, you can say it with me. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I heard a great teacher one time, um, Dr. John uh, Sproul, great grace brethren man with the Lord now. He explained that verse to me because it says uh, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said it's like you have on a shirt. Like I was doing some work around here this morning. I got a stain on my pants. Oh, great. That's perfect. My wife's not here. So I'm a mess. All right. So you know what happens. You you wet some paper towel and you scrub the stain. And what happens? It just gets bigger and smears. Okay. I don't have a Tide stick with me. I don't carry that in my wallet. But Dr. Sproul explained this verse to me, First John 1, 9. That he forgives us of our sins. It's like we have on our garments and we look down and we're like, oh, my word, I'm spotted with sin. I need to confess these sins. And by the way, confession should be part of your daily routine. 
And the scriptures say we can go directly to the Heavenly Father through the name of Jesus. We don't have to go to a priest. The scriptures say each of us is a priest now because of what Jesus has done. So I look at all the spots on my garments. I say, oh, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for lying. Please forgive me for stealing. Please forgive me for being grouchy. Uh, Oh, I don't want to get too transparent. Uh, Let's make up some things. Uh, Forgive me for being lazy. Forgive me for cursing. Forgive me for whatever. And we've asked forgiveness. Then we get up and we walk away from that time of confession. But we didn't realize that on the back of our garments, there's all kinds of stains that we weren't even aware of, right? When I was a kid, I had my green Schwinn. I just loved that bike. You know, I've talked about it before. I got a problem, right? Would love, you know, in the Midwest in Indiana in the spring and summertime, you just get tons of rain. And we would love to go out after a thunderstorm and there's all kinds of water and the air was still thick with moisture. We would just love to ride our bikes. And of course, because we were boys, what would we do? We'd go through every single mud puddle we could find. And what happens when you ride your bike through mud puddles or mud? Forget the water. The mud's even better. Your your whole back, right? Your whole back is just covered with mud. And that's what. John's talking about when he says, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I practice consistently confession of my sins that I'm aware of, in faithfulness, Jesus forgives me for all the sins that I'm even not aware of. That's what he means by cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He keeps my back clean because I don't even know, I don't even realize when it gets dirty. But if I go to him and confess the sins that I know I've committed in order to keep my garments clean. He's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's really amazing. And, you know, we're brethren. A lot of us don't like the threefold communion. A lot of us can't stand that foot washing. Uh, It's awkward. It's weird. Uh, But, you know, in John 13, where we take that out of. When Jesus washed his disciples feet and when we do that, we split up the ladies go to one place and the guys go to another place. Because that foot washing that Jesus did for his disciples represents the fact that once he left, he was going to provide a way for them to be cleansed daily. And he told his disciples, you know what? If you've had a bath, if you've been born again, you only need to wash your feet. In other words, you need to make sure you keep up to date by confessing your sins. The foot washing in John 13 is a symbol of fellowship. Of confessing my sins, because he told Peter, unless I wash your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. We're not going to be in fellowship if you don't keep up to date. So that's why we do that. The cleansing of the garment, the cleansing of the character, the confession of the sins on a daily basis. James 5, 2, actually go to the book of James. It's just back a few before the revelation, just a few books. James chapter 5. The, the whole metaphor of garments is throughout Scripture. It's pretty interesting. Starting in verse 1, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches. And by the way, he's not condemning people who are rich. He's condemning people who don't use their riches for God's glory. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become what? 
moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasures. So he's saying, just as Jesus prayed, not that we would be taken out of the world, but that we would be protected. That we have to live our lives right every day in the world, but we have to live and act in such a way that we keep our character, keep our garments clean. Keep ourselves clean. Sometimes that involves separation, right? We have to separate ourselves from things that are impure or things that may tempt us to dirty our garments. And you have to decide whatever that might be. You know, we have to really watch what we look at, what we listen to, uh, what we do. One author said this, you see it on your outlines. We cannot travel without dust. The rust will settle even on the purest metal, but we do not have to keep the dust or allow the rust to eat up the metal. These few in Sardis managed to have clean garments, though they were in contact with very great corruption and decay. They maintained themselves in living faith and purity where everything was full of defilement and deadness. So there were a few that were able to. I know they weren't perfect. They were sinners, just like all of us. But they weren't dirty with the things of the world. Now, if you go back to Revelation 3. Verse 4 again, the last part of verse 4, it says, And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. John is saying that holiness and purity belong to the redeemed who have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Absolute purity is not possible in this life, but it is ours in the merit and righteousness of Christ. What he's saying is we do sin and the Lord made provision, right, to confess that and to repent from that. But what he's saying is because of Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he sees absolute purity. But not because of what we have, but because of what Christ gave us. Notice in Scripture, when it starts talking about white robes, white robes in Scripture are usually reserved for Christ himself, for holy angels, and for church-age saints. So I don't know how you feel about spending your whole day in a robe. I think some of you, that sounds pretty good. Uh, my daughter-in-law said, Eliza said, you know, she gets to leave base from 8 to 8 for these few days, and she's not supposed to be out of uniform. Maybe we shouldn't record this. Maybe it won't get to Texas till she's done with tech school. She said, forget that. Jay, take me to the hotel. I'm putting on my pajamas and my robe, and I'm going to sit around all day because I don't want to wear this. For some of us, being in a robe sounds pretty good, right? Okay. But don't worry. You'll have a glorified body. And you're going to look good in that robe. So I think when I first got here, there was a choir. Did you guys wear robes when you did choir? There's some robes back there. Oh, those baptism robes. See, I, I don't know why I don't like to wear that. I think I unsettled the ox cart when I said, I'm not wearing that robe. Oh, we always wear those robes. I'm like, oh. 
Though most in Sardis were content to live as Christians in name only. Now, is that you? Are you living the Christian life in name only? And for some of us, if we've been in church long enough, we start hiding behind that name Christian. It was the few who were more than just a name, but most of them were just a name. I think that's where we are in our country right now. A lot of people are just Christian in name. They were alive to the truth and to their Christian calling, this few, and they stayed steadfast. They hadn't been defiled. And Jesus says what? He says, uh, he says they are worthy. They are worthy. What are they worthy of? They're worthy to walk with him, John says in the Revelation. They're worthy to walk with me because of their steadfast commitment. Notice that even the most humble and most hidden of God's saints, Jesus takes notice of them. And that oftentimes to see what? That the most neglected and despised on earth are often the most esteemed in heaven. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 gives this long list of people who died for their faith in God. And there's a line in Hebrews chapter 11 that says, those of whom the world was not worthy. Now, it's not worthy because of our own intrinsic value. But he's saying your reward for standing fast will be that you will walk with me. One commentator said, and this is on your outline, I think on the last page at the top. It doesn't matter. It matters not for the standing of men in the eyes of this world or in the eyes of a dead and decaying Christendom, provided they have the life of saints as well as the name. So it has to be more than a name. It has to be the true life in the believer. What Jesus was saying to these few He's saying, I am not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to have you out there on your own trying to live a pure and godly life in a godless, dirty world. You're not going to go unnoticed. He says, I notice you. I see you. And the other neat thing here in this passage is you notice how he condemns most of the people in this church, but he's not going to lump the few faithful ones in. On that uh, condemnation. What a gracious thing for our Lord to do. We mentioned that last week. Uh, I remember I have eight siblings. And there was a lot of group punishment when you have that many siblings. I mean, if you're an only child, that's easy. Who ate those cookies? Well, you did because you're the only one and your teeth are full of Oreos. Okay. But when there's eight siblings, there's a lot of group punishment because people wouldn't fess up. Well, I didn't do it. You know, and so the whole lot gets punished. Even the innocent ones. But Jesus doesn't do that. He always takes notice of his own and he always rewards them. So don't ever think that you're going unnoticed. He sees. Then he says in verse five, and we're going to wrap up because we only have three minutes left. He says, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, it appears that this is saying when he says, I will not erase his name for the book of life. Oh, you mean my name can be in the book of life and then be erased? 
No, that's not what he's saying. Literally, he's saying for the true believer, it is impossible to ever be erased from the book of life. So we're seeing a very stark contrast here. Go back into the Old Testament with me. I want you to see this verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17. And look at Jeremiah 13. And then we're going to go to Philippians 4 after that. These are just two examples, but there are many in the scriptures. Oh, I see the wagon circling out there. Okay. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel. Read the next line out loud with me. All who forsake you will be put to shame. And then it gets even worse. Those who turn away on earth will be written down. Because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. So, you know, what? everybody's name is getting written down. If you go to Philippians chapter four, and we're going to close with this. Philippians chapter four, verse three. There are a couple women in the church not getting along. So Paul asked uh, someone else to help these ladies get along. Philippians 4, 3. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also. And then look what it says. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. And in Jeremiah, it was the unbeliever or the ones who turned away. It says their names are written down, too. So, folks, everyone's name is going to be written down. Makes me think of that old hymn. I love it. There's a new name written down in glory. What's it say next? And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. We want to make sure that we're on the right list because there's going to be lists kept. There's going to be books kept. We don't want to be on that list in Jeremiah, but we definitely want to be on that list in Revelation three, verse five. So next week, Lord willing, if we're together, if the Lord does not come back. I would rather teach this lesson next week in heaven, but if we're still here, we'll do it here. We'll look at what will happen on that day, both for those who have stood fast for the Lord and for those who have either rejected him or turned away. So just be thinking about which list you want to find yourself on. Let's stand up and pray. It looks like the kids are going to come in and we'll have 10 more minutes and wrap things up for church today. Lord, thanks for our time together today. It's exciting uh, with you bringing us vacation Bible school for the kids. It's exciting uh, that you're speaking to us, Father. Uh, We live in an age, I truly believe, where we need to be challenged about the seriousness of our faith. Uh, That we cannot be cavalier or trivial or flippant about it. But we need to take the things of the Lord very seriously. We need to seriously evaluate our lives to make sure we are shining as brightly as we can, to make sure we are as salty as possible. And we need to search our hearts, Father. I believe even that some in this very room may merely think that they're born again when in reality they are not. So I pray, Father, your spirit would grab a hold of them and convict them of their sin and their need of a Savior and that you would not stop that convicting work until it comes to completion. Use your word, Father, in a powerful way in our lives, uh, in our church, uh, and in our communities. Thank you for bringing us together today, Father. And we pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.